there is now a way to contact the Wolf Connection podcast. Send us an email to podcast at wolfconnection.org with your comments, questions, and guest ideas for Stephen and myself. You may hear your question answered on an upcoming podcast. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection podcast. I'm your host, John Kalfa. Let's talk about some wolves. I'm running solo for this edition of the podcast, but I have a fellow New Yorker who we were just speaking beforehand. We found out <laughs> he's from uh, originally from Binghamton, New York, but he's in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He's an artist and a sculptor. And we will show you when we post the podcast, the sculpture that this individual made and the proceeds were then donated to Wolf Connection. And we thank him greatly for that. This is Ted Heistman. Ted, it's wonderful to meet you. And again, thank you for the, the work that you're doing, your artist, uh, your clay sculptures are amazing. And obviously the donation to Wolf Connection. How are you today? Thanks. Yeah, I'm great. It's really great to meet you. I'm really uh, happy about the Wolf Connection. I work at a warehouse. And so I listen to it like almost half the day. I've been going back. I'm going backwards because I, I just learned about it recently and I'm going farther and farther back in time. I think it's like like almost like Christmas time, like a last year now is where I'm at. So, <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Yep. Wow. But I felt like you guys. That's, a, well, that's well, you amazing. Guys exposed me to so many cool people and organizations, you know, like the Wood River uh, Project and like Range Riders and like all these people that are, that are helping like wolf conservation in different ways. And I felt like you guys are given this, issue like so much exposure from so many different angles that I felt like it would it would do the best just to donate to you guys you know so that's kind of why I decided to do that no we appreciate that and I saw I, I got the email forwarded to me from Re, who's our, our our marketing she's a director of development and she does a oh, lot yeah. of great work and she, a lot of great reach out and it was just a great like I said a, an awesome gesture by by you Tell me, because we were discussing just before we started, what was your, you, you had told me you were looking at some of the wolves that were in some of our videos, I guess on the website, but you said there was one in particular that sort of struck you that you used as your template, I guess, for your sculpture. Yeah, yeah all, I guess her name is Alma. Is that correct? Alma? Ozma. Ozma, Ozma. Yeah, the, the female wolf. Yeah, I just kind of liked, I kind of liked her build. Like the first wolf I did, and then the guy that I did that wolf for, he commissioned me to do a second wolf. But the first wolf, I wanted to do like a female wolf. And my girlfriend and I, we both liked that. We both grew up watching that movie, Never Cry Wolf. And they had this uh, this female Angeline. And I kind of had that idea in my head, but I was looking online for, for references, you know? And uh, I kind of just liked, she had kind of a, like a real wild, like wolf look, but kind of a more feminine kind of a look, like with her bone structure, it's like more delicate, you know? And I just, I just thought she was like an amazing animal to use like for a reference. I used other references too, for like different angles and different parts of the anatomy, but I just kind of felt like that kind of, kind of brought everything together in the kind of look I was going for. That's fantastic. Do you do that with all of your other, when you sculpt any sort of, it seems you do a lot of animals. Is that your, your goal? You look for different angles of, of different animals in the wild and you use that as you go through the process. What is your artistic vision? How do you 
start even with just it's it's clay and then you create this this beautiful end uh, end project. Oh, thanks. Well, I think um, it's really been like since COVID, I really got back into sculpture, you know, because I, I initially I got laid off from my job and, you know, I had some time in my hands. And uh, so I started sculpting again. And I guess what I usually do is I have an idea in my head and then I sculpt something like pretty fairly quickly. Like I make an armature and and like the armature will be like wire, like this kind of very bendy wire you can use. And then I put, I put tinfoil over it and then I put the clay over that and it's still kind of flexible at that stage. And I get the kind of gesture and the kind of the feel I'm going for. But then when I get down to like the finer details, I, I go to like references and from pictures I find online, just like image searches. And I try to, um, I try to, get an idea in my head of what I want the animal to look like. And this idea in my head, I kind of try to think of the proportion and then I use like the photographic references to just kind of like, like fine tune the details. So that's pretty much what I do. Yeah. It seems a, a really in-depth process because you, you're really, you're, you're starting from scratch every single time. I saw a couple of the woolly mammoths that you did on your yeah. social media and to me to me it's weird i don't use the my creative side of the of my brain i guess that's i think it's the left side i can't but i think the right side what, what it's either the right or left i can't, it can't it's one of those two <laughs> um but just to be able to imagine as you said the the position you want the animal to be in, what kind of action, the reaction, the facial structure, mm -hmm. and then to be able to really sculpt. What I found fascinating looking at it was just the way you're able to make the different layers of fur and to have those different layers with uh, whatever the tool that you're using to make those, that, that detail really show up. Because that when when you come and you look at wolves in the wild, if you see pictures and things of that sort, their coats are really incredible and there's so much depth and layering to it. So I found that yeah. interesting how you were able to do that. What's sort of the tool that you use and, and how are you able to get that depth out of, out of that well, uh, it, part, of the, part of the animal? Well, I'm glad you said that because uh, it really is interesting with the wolves coat, like how many different sort of sections there are because they have like a kind of a rough, around their cheeks and then along their neck they have kind of an interesting pattern and then their shoulders there's different areas where the fur is a lot thicker like with real long guard hairs and uh it's funny because the tool that i only use i have all these tools that i bought for sculpting clay but i just use like this ice pick for like the fine details i, I could probably grab it real quick okay this wooden thing where it's a point, it's like a point on one end, and then it's more flat on the other end. And then I use this ice pick for the fine details. And uh, I, I've talked to some other sculptors that I've met about like the fur textures, like some people I talked to online. And also I have kind of like a mentor, there's like a fine art sculptor that lives here in Colorado Springs. And uh, my girlfriend's parents, had like mutual friends with him and they 
and they met him at a at actually a memorial service for another friend that had passed away that was an artist and they referred him to me and I and he he's he always had wanted to like talk to like a newer sculptor and like share some advice because an old guy had like mentored him and given him a lot of advice he wanted to pay it forward and he uh he kind of worked with me and how you use different details of the sculpture to uh to direct your eye to certain places you know like you don't want you don't want the viewer's eye to like go away from the sculpture you kind of want to kind of hold your interest you know so i've kind of been trying to do that with like the the fur patterns and it's it's really kind of neat when you sculpt an animal because you learn so much about them you get such like an intimate view of like all the tiny details in their life and i like to learn about their natural history too you know to get more of a a picture of what i'm doing but it's amazing like how much you just learn like just even if i was just going to sculpt just for myself it's just like a fun experience to like learn so much about different animals by by sculpting them you really seem to get immersed in that and it, it seems it only helps in your creative vision when did you start when did you start working with clay and what is the what's some of the best advice that you've gotten through your artistic process? Cause you just said you have a, a mentor that you're talking with and I'm sure there's a bunch of people who sculpt as well. So what are the trade secrets that you guys go back and forth about? And, and yeah, when was that first initial thought for you or that passion that you're, that you say, I'm going to work with clay and I want to sculpt. Well, when I was a kid, I did do a lot of art and uh, I guess as I got older, I just kind of got caught up in working like different jobs and doing different things. And I didn't really make a lot of art for a while. Um, I got back into painting as an adult and I never really got back into sculpture until until recently, with, you know, with COVID. I don't know exactly what gave the idea, but I just... Uh, like with my job, I was working for, I was doing customer service at a call center and then they, they closed the call center and we're all, we're working from home for a while. And then most of us got laid off and this was like early in COVID and we're all kind of sort of quarantined. We're not really sure what to do. A lot of things were closed. And, uh, I guess I just kind of got an idea that I'd like to start getting back into sculpture again, just for kind of like a hobby to do while I'm kind of shut in like this, you know? And, uh, and I just, um, I kind of got into the idea of doing like sort of realistic wildlife sculpture. I just kind of hit on that because I, I feel like even though it's not my career, I'm kind of like a, like a naturalist kind of by avocation, you know, I'm just very interested in the natural world. And, uh, so I just felt like it'd be a fun way to kind of to kind of pass the time, maybe learn some more about animals and then maybe I could make some stuff that's good enough that other people would want, you know, it's just been kind of an evolution, but it's only been about, it's only been about like a year and a half that I've been really serious about it. Isn't it amazing though, how that there's, I love that you use it's an evolution because who knows if this would have happened. And I, I, I'm not saying I, I want you to that. And I feel for you with, with COVID happening and, and, the, the layoffs and, and you're not having uh, the job that you had before, but now it seems to have opened a different part of you and a different section that who knows, maybe you had this intuition beforehand and now it's really come to the forefront because, and we'll, 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 
make sure you guys follow Ted on his Instagram so you guys can check out his pictures and things of that sort. But it really just seems, do you feel like you found a different passion? Do you feel like this was something you were, maybe it was down deep inside you didn't realize it until you started, you know, wiring up and doing all the sculpting? Yeah, I felt like it was, um, it was something, well, actually when I was, I was, before this happened, I was, uh, I was more into politics and then I got a little burnt out on it because I felt like, um, I felt like there, there was only so much I could do as one person, you know, and I felt kind of uh, frustrated. I was excited about Bernie Sanders when he was running for president and my girlfriend and I were both kind of excited. And, you know, we, I did a little bit of canvassing for him and, and then, you know, we voted in the primaries, didn't make it. And then it was just kind of a big disappointment that he didn't really, um, he didn't end up being the Democratic candidate. And so after that, I felt kind of, kind of burnt out. And I was following politics for a while and just kind of feeling powerless. And I just said, well, I want to just do something where I, that I can control myself. And I, that's, that's another reason why I decided to kind of get into artwork. So it's like something tangible that's like under my control. And, and then I felt like maybe there is a way, you know, because one of the issues I'm very concerned about is conservation. And uh, I felt maybe there is a way to combine my artwork and my passion for conservation. And I was thinking, well, if I sell, if I sell this wolf sculpture, I'm going to donate it to wolf conservation. And I started posting that on my Facebook. And I actually, I wasn't aware of it, but just by mentioning that I'm going to sell this sculpture and donate to charity, like Facebook asks you, like, what charity do you want to donate it to? Like, do you want to make a button? And initially I had this other charity that I was going to donate to. And I just, when I would post pictures of the wolf on social media, I would post that button and then people would donate and they ended up uh, donating about like my friends and family donated about like $250 just on Facebook to, um, to uh, defenders of wildlife. So I thought that was kind of cool. So I said, maybe I'll just from now on, like I said, I was going to donate all the money from this one wolf to charity, but maybe like from now on, when I make wildlife sculpture, I'll always have like, like a percentage, maybe like 10% go to charity. So then I felt like that's something I could like do myself. I don't feel powerless. It's maybe like a small gesture, but it's at least something I could physically do and, and to contribute to, to wolf conservation. So I kind of felt like that'll be a good way to put it together. It really seems that it's a, it's amazing how we find ourselves in different situations, right? Ted, because we, we, we find passions in one way and then the door opens to another thing. And I, I find that really, really amazing about what you're talking about is that we, sometimes we get burnt out over certain things and then it leads us maybe to a better avenue of where we can use our, our talents. Right. Because I really do believe this is a talent. I mean, you, if you threw me a mold of clay, I don't know if I could come up with the same, <laughs> the same <laughs> things that you come up with. And for you to do that in an advocacy sort of way is, again, it always helps that even if it's a little piece, it always helps wh whichever the organization is. And it doesn't even have to be us, but the fact that you, have that already set in your mindset it is fantastic. What was the thing that drew you to us? Because I know, and just for for reference, because we were again as we were talking before we got on here, 
Ted is working his way backwards through the podcast. So he's going, he's yeah. counting down from, I think, <laughs> right. episode 57 to, yeah, wherever we are. So, right. but that's great. And I, I find that it, it's incredible. Again, thank you for the support as always. But what was the 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 draw to us and, and what we do and that, that you initially said, that you said, ultimately, this is where I'm going to send my donation. Well, the draw was your concept. Um, actually, I've gotten back far enough where I think I know where this concept came from, but the concept you talk about a lot of the radical middle, I really like that because, because I, I kind of feel like, um, you know, no matter what people's personal opinion is, there's all these other people in the United States that have a say too. And so if we want to have the best outcome in terms of conservation and recovery for wolves, we're going to have to like join forces, you know, and see things from other perspectives and people from other walks of life, just kind of come together and, you know, put some better policies in place. So I really appreciated that because, because I don't necessarily come at the wolf situation from the same way as like an animal rights activist that might be like like totally like anti-hunting you know anti-eating meat i mean that that's their that's fine if that's their perspective and that's their opinion but i don't necessarily have like a completely anti-hunting view i just like the idea of having like a complete like ecosystem like a healthy ecosystem like a healthy population of, of wolves and so I really appreciate it in your podcast, how you, you'll interview like an ethical hunter, you know, one week, and then you'll interview like a range rider that works with ranchers. And you interviewed, um, I think a woman that was like in a landowner association that helps, you know, large landowners that own like wild land, like do conservation. And, and then next week you'll interview like a lawyer, you know, and, and uh, so I just felt like that's the best way to, to do this type of conservation is to is to show a lot of different perspectives and show how people can can work together to have a positive result. You know, so I felt like I felt like that was the least divisive way to maybe make progress, um, you know, by highlighting people that use other tools besides like lethal control, you know, like I've learned all these terms like flaydry and I learned about all these, you know, different devices they use that, that, that trick wolves into thinking there's human presence and, uh, you know, people work with like other people work with like guard dogs and things like that. So I felt like this organization was uh had the most comprehensive view i think of wolf conservation so that's why that's what drew me to it we appreciate that and steven and i have have set out from the beginning to really make sure that we are fair and balanced and i we we do our best to really give everyone or as many people with as many voices into the conversation because as, as you said, and as we've said on this podcast multiple times, we have to come together in order to get this specific issue, which can be so divisive. We, we need as many people as possible. We need as many people who are willing to come to that radical middle and 
understand everybody's perspective and understand that we can do better for the wolves and th- and that species and we can do better for ourselves. And I, I really hope that it continues to go down this pathway. It seems to be doing that. I'm glad it brought you to us and it called to you that you were making these sculptures and, and it was something that really spoke to you. So, uh, you know, as I, I say to a lot of people, if I, if I, if we reach one person, that's one more person than we reached the day before. Yeah. And so that's always, that's always the goal. And I know you're in Colorado now. And again, we touched on this right before we started. How do you, how do, from your perspective, how are things feeling in Colorado? I know you're in Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. which is a little bit more of a populated part of the state. Yeah. How are, what's the general, if you can, what's the general vibe or the general feeling right now as the wolf reintroduction in Colorado is heading towards 2023 and getting a plan together? Do you have a feel or a sense in your community or people that you talk to about how they're feeling? Um, I don't really have that much of a feel for how people think. I mean, I know there is a wolf center here that's similar to uh, the one you have. And I haven't been to it yet. My girlfriend, and I want to go, but I have a coworker that's involved in it because I work at a warehouse and uh, she works there. And, and she was telling me about the other wolf center in Colorado. So I think a lot of people that are, that are, um, I guess on the more progressive side are pretty positive about wolves, but, um, like people like, so my girlfriend's family is from Gunnison, Colorado, and that's the Western slope. And that's sort of where, where, uh, the wolves are going to be reintroduced from what I've, from what I've gathered. And, and she grew up there and she knew a lot of ranchers. I'm sure they might have a little bit different perspective. Um, as I visit that area more, I'm, well, I'm interested in talking to people and getting their take, but one experience I had where I sort of got a glimpse of the, how divisive this issue is, is when I hiked the Pacific Northwest trail. And this was a few years ago, this was 2017, but I hiked, this trail starts in, uh, in Glacier National Park and it goes all the way to the Pacific ocean in Washington. And when I did this trail, I hiked the, like the Eastern half of the trail. And then when I connected on to the uh, Pacific Crest trail, and I hiked about, I hiked all the way through the state of Washington and most of Oregon, and they had all the forest fires. So I got kind of stopped that year. But when I was hiking through Montana and Idaho and Washington, I would meet locals and I would ask them, I mean, we just would strike up conversations and we're in like a wild area. So we'd start talking about wildlife. And a lot of times when you hike these trails, when you get to a, when the trail crosses the road, you hitchhike into town to get supplies, then you hitchhike back. So I meet a lot of local people that way. And it was interesting that people's opinions, like the hikers have a more of a progressive view um, of wildlife like wolves, but the local people, they just tend to have this idea that wolves are dangerous, that, well, I can't believe you're not hiking with a gun. You know, there's wolves and grizzly bears out there. Of course, I did have bear spray. But from my perspective, I never really had a mindset that wolves were something to worry about. I was just like hoping to see a wolf or hear wolves howling, 
I did see some tracks and I was like super excited to see wolf tracks. And I did see, I actually saw bears like black bears and grizzly bears, but uh, I was like hoping to see wolves and the locals that like are in Western Montana and Idaho and Eastern Washington, they have more of a mindset that it's something like dangerous. And like, whenever I would meet a local, they would be like some type of a person working in the lumber industry or the, or the ranching industry. And they were always like heavily armed and they would make little comments like, yeah, there's like a lot of wolves around here. So you got, we, that's why I carry like a sidearm. And I didn't really, you know, when somebody's giving you a hitchhike ride to town and they just picked you up in the middle of the wilderness somewhere, like, I didn't feel like it was, it was appropriate time to get in a debate and like try to change their opinion. I was just kind of curious, you know, what they had to say. I just did notice there is like a dichotomy, like an urban and rural mindset about, about wolves. It's like, it's, it's very different. Yeah. It's you, you have a good background, I think in this because of what you were saying when you were doing things for Bernie Sanders and, and it's good to have these conversations though. And I think it's, it's good even as you, as you said, you were hiking and so you're, you're, you're getting a ride from some of these individuals and it's good though for their voices to be heard and to get an entire encapsulation as to why the feelings are there and to understand where these feelings are coming from, why this is here. Is there a way that we can work together, maybe change a mind or two here and there? It really depends, but I think it's, it's good on you, I think, A, to be, uh, we don't listen enough. And I think it's good that people, get, I think just from un- hearing that little story to understand that we need to listen a little more and we need to let people explain themselves and let people have their say and not really talk at people unless, you know, really not at any point in time, but I think really just to be able to hear each other and make sure that those conversations are as grounded and as neutral as possible to really get to the crux of what the issue is. So I want to ask you too, I got a couple more things before I let you go. What's the next project that you're working on? Are you, are you working on another wolf? Are you working on what's, what's in the pipeline for Ted Heisman right now in terms of sculpture and, and things of that sort? I'm trying to get a website together. I haven't really got that together, but the next thing I'd like to do is a wild horse. And it's also the wild horse uh, issue is something similar. There's there's a lot of um, activists that are concerned about wild horses, and they think that they are being you know managed a little too hard, like harshly, like a little too heavy handedly, you know. And uh, so I'm wanting to do a, a wild horse uh, next, and I've been kind of researching you know wild horses like mustangs and like their genetics and their history. And, you know, where they come from, where they live, like their kind of their behavior. And uh, they're not really like a native animal, but they've they're sort of in some ways become a native animal, you know, because they've had a presence, you know, for about 500 years, like since the Spanish explorers, um, you know, released, you know, their their horses into the wild, like in like the like the, almost like the 1500s, I want to say. And so that's a really interesting thing. And there's like a, a parallel I've been studying with like the public grazing issue. You know, I think, uh, I think, um, 
I kind of went down a rabbit hole, like with studying like public grazing. And I, and I almost, I'm kind of torn about it because I feel like from things, other things I've read, when people have a value that they have on the land that helps preserve it, like in terms of conservation, but there also is an issue with, you know, public grazing. And then people thinking that wildlife competes, you know, with, with their livestock and then it should be sort of supported in such a way that it'll, it'll, you know, enable people to graze livestock, you know, cattle and sheep on public land. But um, so without getting, you know, too much into the politics of that, I've just been kind of uh, looking at it from that perspective. Like for my, in my perfect world, I would like to see like bison, more like bison and elk and wolves and, uh, you know, even like wild horses, but just things on public land. Like if like wildlife should have the priority, you know, I feel like it's probably good to have public grazing, you know, for, for ranchers and for people to not have a point. I'm almost afraid if there was no public grazing, there'd be more of a push to sell off public land, you know, cause that is kind of a, there, there's people that want to do that too, you know? So I'm just kind of, kind of trying to stay open minded about that, but I've just become kind of uh, interested in, in wild horses too, because it kind of, covers some of the same issues but i'll probably just i'll probably just um do some commissions of people that want a sculpture of their favorite animal you know i'll probably i'll probably go in that direction that's great i mean tell everybody where i uh, two more things so i want to promote so tell me where or tell everybody who's listening where they can view some of your work where they can can they message you where's a place where they can you know as you said if you want to get a commit, you know, if people want a sculpture of their favorite animal, whether it's a, you know, rhino, a wolf, a lion, whatever it is, how do they contact you and where can they see yeah. your work? Yeah. Probably the best place now is, is uh, Instagram is to to follow me on Instagram. It's a uh, Utag soup, which is kind of a funny name. Cause that was my trail name. When I hiked the Appalachian trail, I had like this caveman name Utag and I would make this soup. I would make this soup every day of usually it would be like uh like like rice noodles or mashed potatoes and like some pepperoni sticks but then sometimes i'd get some like rock tripe or some other kind of edible plant that i found on the trail and i'd mix it up there and and, uh it became like a new tog soup so i started my instagram to show pictures of my hikes and then it's kind of evolved into more like artwork so if you can follow me on uh utog soup at instagram I think also if you search for my name, Ted Heisman, on Instagram, it would take you there. But if you follow me on Instagram, you could see some of my artwork. And if you message me, I could do I could do a commission for for people that want to have a sculpture of their favorite animal. Absolutely. We're gonna have that in our description so you guys can take a look at it. And when we post the 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 podcast episode, we're gonna release the the sculpture that Ted made that he was able to donate the proceeds to for Wolf Connection. So you guys can see that and get an idea of the talent this man has and, and what he's doing. My final question for you, Ted, is when you hear the word wolf, what is the thing that comes to your mind? Yeah, the, I was hoping you'd ask me that because you ask everybody that and it's really interesting. I always love hearing people's answers, you know, but I have to say, when I think of the word wolf, I literally think of the call of the wild, you know, like going back to the Jack London book, but also the sense that growing up as a kid and reading about wolves, 
it sort of made me sort of feel like a call of the wild. It made me really want to go to Alaska and places like Montana, you know, Northern Minnesota, like places where they had wolves. And, uh, and so when I hear the word wolf, it just sort of makes me remember that call I felt of just wanting to be out in the wilderness where wolves live. And I just feel like if there's a wilderness that has wolves, I just feel like it's just that much more wild. You know, it's just, um, like when I've been able, been lucky enough to like see wolves, I've only seen like two wolves in the wild. And, uh, but it's just, and just hearing them howl or just seeing some type of sign. It just, to me, it's like an amazing experience that I'm like sharing this wilderness with these like amazing animals. So that's what I would say. It makes me think of the call of the wild. I love that. It's a great description. It's a great sentiment. Uh, again, Thank you again. Thank you again, Ted, for, you know, the conversation. Awesome to meet you and continue with that sculpting. It's beautiful work. It's great. And like I said to everybody who's listening, we will have Ted's Instagram so you guys can contact him, look at all his work. And uh, once you get that website up and running, just give me a heads up and we'll promote that as well, Ted. So again, appreciate you. Thank you for the awesome. donation and look forward to more of your work. Yeah. Thank you, John. And thank you for doing your, your great work. And I'm going to be staying tuned. You know, I'm going to probably, I'll probably get to the end and then I'll have heard all of them. So I'll just be waiting for that next one to come out. So. <laughs> nice. I love it. I love when people go down the rabbit hole. So this is great. <laughs> oh man. Got another one from New York. So I, another one of my New York brethren. So Ted Heisman, thank you so much. Oh, uh, I appreciate everything. And uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch. Uh, thanks everyone for listening how's to you all and we will see you next time bye everybody looking to support wolf connection or sponsor one of the wolves in our pack just go to wolfconnection.org click on the donate tab and find out more information